sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa. Hello, Melissa. Hey, CJ. Hey, listeners. All 12 of you. How you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa, episode 8. Woo! Title yet to be determined, depending on what comes up. Exactly. But I can't believe we're already at 8. That just seems crazy to me. And that's not even counting the mimosodes. So no. We, so technically we're at 10. And this is more than I've ever done in my life. Like, this is more effort than I put into, like, my jobs. <laughs> we'll keep it up. We, we want to get to at Ten least 24 episodes. listeners. Double where <laughs> Double we're at it. now. Hell yeah. Uh, we just discussed before we started recording that neither of us has anything super exciting to talk about. So we're, we're boring and we're just going to hop right into the beverage review. The Bev review. This is true. Uh, do you want to go first? Should I go first? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I am drinking a beer today. Um, because that's just what I have in my fridge. And I started drinking these early morning and I've been going strong all day. So I figured why switch it up when it's been going great. So this is a beer called Pico to Mexico, which let me just tell you, spoiler alert, it goes really well with my woman today. <laughs> Which was not intentional, but now that I'm reading it, I'm like, oh my god, how funny! Um, but this is a uh, a beer from Golden Road Brewery, and it's cucumber. Uh, it's a cucumber lime lager with a hint of habanero, Ooh. and it's bomb. Damn, that sounds great, right? Um, but I will tell you this: I shared it. I was drinking this on Friday night too, and I shared it with a man friend, and he fucking despised it. So it might it might just be one of those like chick beers. Mm-hmm. It's very like light, and it has that cucumber and habanero, and it's just like not girthy enough for a man, you know. <laughs> So I, it might it might just be one of those things that like I really like. Um, but if you have like big balls, you might not be down. I like the adjective of girthy to describe a beer. <laughs> that is so good. Well, guys always have to like you know get their dicks hard with IPA, and that's like uh, all they drink. IPA. And so uh, yeah. my little faint of heart femininity is all about that cucumber lime lager yeah so if if you if you aren't into big dick shit i say hit up your local ralph's and hop on this golden road brew train because for summer they have all kinds of good beers out right now and this is one of them how fun i wish i could check it out just so i could drink that it's super cute see it Oh, it's so cute. That is so obviously geared towards women. It's like, hey, oh, ladies. Fuck yeah. Right? <laughs> I bet you your guy friend just pretended not to like it because of the way it looks. Maybe. I bet you. Trying to Probably. be buff. Yeah. 
<sighs> Cute. All right. Last week you had a rosé. Now you have a beer. You're just I know. fucking I'm with really the game. I love it. it. I love it. I am once again drinking iced coffee because I actually, I almost went to the bar and had just a couple of drinks. I was like, I'm not going to buy a whole bottle of wine because if I buy a whole bottle, I'll drink it because I have an alcohol problem. But I put on, you know, like public clothes, which is a a tank top and booty shorts in New Orleans. And I put on mascara and I was like, I'm going to go to the bar. And then my body was like, yeah, no, like you are still sitting this shit out. So I'm drinking iced coffee again. I 100% am drinking the Starbucks coffee again, but to mix it up, I'm going to review the coffee I had before this, which is French truck coffee, which is a local coffee company in New Orleans. And they have a cold brew that is off the fucking chain. And it costs $14 a bottle, like for a big bottle of it, which would maybe last you a week. And I buy it anyway, because I'm out of control. Um, so that was yeah, really good. You know what? Your beverage selection is one part of your life that you don't go cheap in. <laughs> I really don't. That's why I'm broke. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, $20 bottle from Whole Foods? Yeah, let's do it. I'm like <laughs> scraping by with $4, like barefoot. I'm just weak. My body can't take it anymore. She's like, don't put that cheap shit in me. Like, literally, I can't. I'll call in particular. If I drink cheap shit, I will just have the worst hangovers ever. So I just don't yeah. mess with it. True. Um, but yeah, so I was drinking that earlier. It's cold brew, so it's extra caffeinated. And it's 6 o'clock here, so I'm trying not to stay up all night. So I'm drinking the milder basic bitch Starbucks. Very exciting shit. And my Gemini mm-hmm. cup. Because we all know. Cute. Love it. All right. Should we go? Yeah, you're up. So don't be mad, listeners and Melissa. But I am once again covering a singer in my episode today. And it occurred to me that I've covered like four different singers. (laughs) So like half of our episodes have been me covering singers. But I listen to a lot of music. So... This is, I guess you would call her like rock, pop. Part of why I chose her is that she's so hard to classify. And you might not know her. Her name is Kate Bush. Do you know Kate Bush? Don't know her. I'm so fucking excited. First thing you're going to do if you're not too drunk by the end of this podcast is you're going to go look up her video, Wuthering Heights from 1978, and you're going to lose your fucking shit. So Kate Bush is from the UK. She is a singer-songwriter, musician, dancer, producer. Her big breakout hit that she's most known for is Wuthering Heights. It came out in 1978 when she was 19 years old. It was like an instant hit in the UK. And it is, I can't even do it justice. You just have to go watch the video. It, I can't even hit the keys that she's hitting. It is the weirdest, most like drama kid thing you've ever seen. And the first time you listen to Wuthering Heights, guaranteed you'll be like, this song's fucking stupid. What the fuck is this shit? Like fucking weirdos. And then you'll want and then you'll want to listen to it another time. And then you'll want to listen to it another time. That song is fucking cursed. And I like I feel like uh I know this. I just Heath, think I don't recognize the name. It's me, Kathy. I've come home and I'm so cold. <laughs> Weird. Uh, yeah, it's not ringing a bell. <laughs> 
Uh, and in the video, she's wearing, she's like this little waif-like figure wearing this bright red dress, dancing in a field, like one of those, one of those things that goes outside of car dealerships. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh-huh. so good. It's so good. You need to check it out. Um, and that's kind of why I chose her. Because if you, if you listen to any of her music, Melissa, you'll immediately know why I'm into her. She's just weird. Like, she's witchy. There's a lot of witchiness in her stuff. She's the shit. Kate Bush is born in Bex- Bexley Heath, Kent in England uh, in 1958 to an English father and an Irish mother. She comes from a whole family of artists. So her mom was an Irish folk dancer. Her dad played piano. One of her brothers played a ton of different instruments and was an instrument maker, which I don't know why that... <laughs> like made me really happy that some dude is just like carving instruments in England I don't know somebody has to be doing it but I never think about it I know also I kind of was like I want to date an instrument maker (laughs) (laughs) that sounds so cool uh anyway so that was one of her brothers and then her other brother was a poet and photographer so she comes from this long line of artists musicians she taught herself piano at the age of 11 and this tripped me out. She also played the organ, which apparently, like, her parents owned an organ that they kept in a barn in the back of their estate. Aren't those <laughs> like, things gigantic? They're humongous. And, like, where do you even buy an organ if you're not Or have a it, like, sh- like, delivered to your farm, too. <laughs> <I know>. Like, <laughs> so, she get that shit on Amazon Prime? <laughs> So I have no idea how that happened, but apparently that was there. She also studied violin. And by the time she's 13 years old, she's composing songs. And while she's in high school, her family helps her assemble this demo tape of like over 50 songs. I don't know how she's going to school because she's just constantly making music. Every record label they sent it to got turned down. But then through the hands of like a shared family friend, it ends up with David Gilmore of Pink Floyd, and he likes what he hears because she has such a weird kind of banshee voice. It's I like I wish I could play a clip, but I'm not going to do it. But she, it's just a really weird, unique voice, and so he thinks it's cool, thinks it's totally of the time. You know, this is in the David Bowie era where weird rock shit was in, and so he ends up helping her. He puts her in touch with people to help her produce a better demo tape, and she ends up getting signed by a label called EMI before she even graduates high school or their equivalent of high school. And she actually was barely even making any music during her, like the beginning of that contract because she was still in school. And she's been quoted as saying that in retrospect, she thinks they signed her so early so nobody else would gobble her up, basically. They were like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Um, So this is where things get to gets a little interesting so she gets this advance for her record contract and she uses that money to enroll in interpretive dance classes and mime classes oh my god (laughs) just to like give you a sense of what kind of art this bitch is making and her first song on her very first album that comes out in 1979 is a song called eight sorry 1978 the first song on that album is a song called Moving that she actually wrote about her dance teacher uh, and dedicated to him. His name was Lindsey Kemp. He was this famous, gay, very modern dancey guy who did stuff with Bowie and like all the hot rock people of the time. And she deliberately sought him out because he worked with David Bowie and she took dance classes with him. 
and all of her many of her videos she does all these weird ass interpretive dance like black turtleneck kind of shit that you would find in like a underground theater in a city <laughs> it's so weird and drama kitty and i love it extra 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 read all about it so her <laughs> debut album you guys really need to check her out. Her debut album is called The Kick Inside. It was released in 1978 when she's 19 years old. And there, I forget the name of the song, but there was a certain song on that album that the record label wanted to release as the breakout single. And she fought them on it. She wanted to release Wuthering Heights, this weird-ass song that was about a book from the 1800s. And she, it was kind of the beginning of her... You'll notice this theme in her career that she's always has to have artistic control. It, like this was before we all knew Prince did it. She's very insistent on making her art her own. All of her songs are written by her. She ends up being kind of like a pop star, but she's not what we think of as pop star. Like her whole act is her own thing. So she fights them on it and ends up releasing Wuthering Heights. And it immediately becomes a hit in the UK. She becomes the first woman to ever reach number one on the UK Billboard charts with a self-written song. And uh, she just like, she becomes famous for being this weird, again, it's the song, it's a cursed song. The first time you hear the song, it fucking sucks. And then the more you listen to it, you're like, this is the best song I've ever heard in my life. Like, why hasn't anyone ever written the song before? It's just so weird. So she ends up being this overnight success uh they they push her to push out a second album within one year so she releases two albums in a year because they want to take advantage of her popularity and it's called lionheart uh she expresses multiple times throughout her life that she was really dissatisfied with that album and that she felt bad that they rushed her and so at this point at the age of 19 she sets up her own label kate bush music and her own management company and she basically becomes like completely independent artist at the age of 19 and uh that gives her complete control over her work in 1979 she embarks on a six-week tour called the tour of life it's a fucking circus she literally does like 20 costume changes there's all these crazy acrobatics going on because she's not fucking around she gets involved in every single aspect of production from choreography to the set design to the costumes she even is in control of staffing like she really has so much control over her shit. It's one of the reasons I love her. And this is interesting. It is her first and last tour ever. So she's, and she's still, 19. She's 19. And she her last album was released in 2011. So she has like a decades long career. And she only ever does one tour the year her first album comes out. Why? Uh, people don't really know. Some people think she's afraid of flying. And she literally doesn't want to like travel in that way. Um, I think there was, I don't know, it wasn't Buddy Holly, but there was some star that she would talk about, I guess, who died in like a plane crash on a tour. And people think she just had some like irrational fear, but she's never actually said it. It's just all speculation. Um, Interesting. She does end up, and I'll get to this later, she does end up doing like a residency at this theater in London in her older age. And the ticket, it's like a 22 show residency and the tickets sell out in 15 minutes. Cause she's wow. never, I bet. Yeah. She's yeah. probably like in such high demand and it's so rare that people are like, we better fucking hop on it, dude. Yep. Yep. Um, so in 1980, she releases never forever, 
which is her third album, and she co-produces this one. It becomes her first record to reach number one in the UK charts, makes her the first woman to achieve that status, and it's also the first time a woman has entered the top of the charts, like, as at an album release. She's doing all kinds of weird shit with synthesizers. Uh, I think Peter Gabriel helped produce that album, or he helped her write a song on that album, which I don't like. Gabriel just makes me laugh. Um, but in 1982, she follows that up with Dreaming, which is her first completely solo produced album. And this is like her weird, what was she on album? It's kind of like Lady Gaga's art pop. You're kind of like, what are you doing over there, girl? She just brings in all this weird shit. Like she has a lot of weird stuff in her songs. Like she has like animal noises sampling in some of her songs. She super overuses the synthesizer because I was just becoming big. And a lot of people were like, okay, like good luck with that self-production homegirl. But then in 1985, she follows that up with the Hounds of Love, which in my humble opinion is her best fucking work. And she actually, on top of having her own label, having her own management company for the Hounds of Love, she decides to build her own private studio near her house. So she doesn't have to worry about like renting studio space and she can record at her own pace at any time she wants. So I just, I don't know why I love that. I just, she's just someone who never, ever played the game. Should also be really helpful for you in your astrological notes. Like someone who never, ever wanted to play somebody else's game and she had to do things her way all the time and she pulled it off. And I think that's so badass because that's so hard to do. Yeah, uh, especially, especially being especially, as young as she was. And being a female in a, in yeah. a male-dominated industry, you know? Yeah. Uh, that song, The Hounds of Love, is the fucking shit. It knocks Madonna's Like a Virgin off the top of the UK charts. Like I said, in my opinion, it's like the pinnacle of her career. But it doesn't, none of her music really gets big in the US, which is why you haven't heard of her. Like, for some reason, it just never takes off. Uh, that album was the first album to kind of like get some traction in the US from Kate Bush. So um, how did you hear of her? <laughs> I... So about a year ago, I was suffering from insomnia because I had to take a drug test. I couldn't smoke any weed. And I was just on YouTube and somehow her, one of her videos just came up and like, I was probably listening to Stevie Nicks. I think you said this to me. I probably have because I became fucking obsessed by it. Okay. So that's why all of this is like coming back. Cause I'm like, I feel like I know who this is, but I don't, but that name sounds familiar. And then your description of this video sounds familiar. You've absolutely sent me the link to Withering Heights like a year I'm pretty ago sh- and I watched I'm it. I'm pretty sure I sent it to everybody in my freaking phone book and people like didn't talk to me <laughs> ever again. But she's super <laughs> weird, right? She's and, so like, strange weird. dance moves and shit. Yes. Yes. Okay, no, you've sent this to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward one year later, we're talking about it. <laughs> I am obsessed with her. Okay. Oh, all right. It's all coming back to me now. And actually, it's all coming back. It's all, ooh, I'm going to cover Celine Dion next. Uh, oh, okay, 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 okay. One day, one day. I know, I know. <laughs> I promise next week I'm not going to do a singer. Um, I should mention, though, this is a good time to mention the reason I decided to cover Kate Bush. I knew I was going to do her eventually, but I had actually planned to cover someone else on today's episode, and I was at the voodoo shop yesterday buying some oils and candles for my witchcraft, and the owner was playing Kate Bush. And I was like, oh, my God, it's fucking Kate Bush. And we had this, like, two-minute freak out about Kate Bush. And I was like, you know what? Nice. I fucking cover her. Uh, I love when the, the signs come like that. You know, the direct result of voodoo. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, voodoo. 
Um, so, 89, she releases Sensual World, which is also one of my favorite songs. Um, but that's an album, and it that became her best-selling U.S. album. I don't know why, but for some reason, the U.S. finally caught on to her. But she never really does get, like, I don't even think she breaks top 20 or even top 100 in the, in the U.S. Like, she really doesn't get popular here. Um, and then finally, in 93... So she's producing and releasing these albums on a pretty straight clip. Like every two to four years, she's releasing another album. Um, in 93, so four years after her last album, she releases The Red Shoes. She also, and this I found out from The Voodoo Man, she also made a short film with Miranda Richardson. She's like a famous, now older English actress called The Line, The Cross, and The Curve. Kate Bush wrote, directed, and starred in this film. So like before... Before Lady Gaga was doing these giant cinematic music videos that were like 25 minutes long, Kate Bush was literally creating, directing, writing these like side movies to go with her albums um, on top of dancing and producing and writing all of her songs out of control. And then she disappears. She just like completely drops off the face of planet Earth. I mean, she's like alive. She's not missing, but she isn't heard from. (laughs) She becomes a recluse. She becomes this enigma. She doesn't release another album for 12 years. She just like drops the red shoes and then she kind of just goes into hiding. Uh, In 98, she has a son, but that's still like five years after the release of her album. So it's not like she had her baby and then she just decided to be a mom. She just like fell off. Nobody really knows why, because she's so secretive. She she hardly ever does interviews or anything like that. Um, But there's some speculation around this time, her guitarist, like her lifelong guitarist, Alan Murphy, passed away, as did her mother, so people think that she kind of was just going through personal stuff and just like retreated. Um, but then finally, for whatever reason, in 2005, she releases another album called Ariel. Um, and then she doesn't release another album again until 2011. Uh, that album, it's her last album to date, is called 50 Words for Snow. And all of the songs are set against a backdrop of falling snow. So like every single song is somehow related to snow and That's Stephen cool. Fry, who is this Stephen Fry is this famous comedic actor from Britain. You probably know him, even if you don't know his name, he, there is this track on there. I forget what it was called where he's just like reading words related to snow. That's like the whole song is him reading words related to what? snow and her like singing in the background. Yes. So she's so fucking weird. She's so strange. Um, and I'm going to talk about that part in a second but to wrap up her kind of like life story in 2012 when the olympics were in london she was actually invited to sing at the opening ceremonies and declined what the fuck <laughs> like who declines singing at the opening ceremonies of the olympics that's like the biggest stage that you could ever be on she's like no i'm good um and then in 2014, she announced her 22-night residency in London at the Hammersmith Apollo. And like I said earlier, tickets sold out in 15 minutes. And that was sort of like her first and last set of live performances since the 1970s. So You know, it almost seems like she's one of those artists that wants to be an artist on her own yep. terms. Exactly. It's like, oh, I know you guys like me, and I know that, like, I could probably make a lot of money, but, like, nah, 
it's just not in alignment with where I'm at right now in my brain. I We're like, love that. you know, who, every you know other who person is like taking up those opportunities. Yeah. Well, and fuck, because like, you eh. Yeah, like she's very selective. Uh, I actually was thinking a lot about Yoko when I was reading up on her. Yeah. Just kind of like just I doing mean, her own sure. weird shit, like whatever, sure. just out there. Um, I, don't, I think that was the last, yeah, that's kind of like the last anyone's heard of her was 2014. She did that residency and like Mike dropped and walked out of there. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about her music style and her songs. So why I love Kate Bush, why so many people love Kate Bush is because again, she's just, if you listen to her music, if you, if anyone listening listens to Wuthering Heights or any other of her songs, it's really hard to, to A, describe what kind of music she sings and B, like who her influences are. Like she's just completely one of a kind. She's just a fucking weirdo doing her own thing. Um, also she, she definitely writes like some personal songs, but most of her songs are about external things and like really fantastical things. She sings a lot about literature, obviously Wuthering Heights. Um, she has a song about Elvis. She has a song about Houdini. She has a song about Joan of Arc. She has a song, (laughs) (laughs) she has a song about this, uh, guy named Wilhelm Reich who thought that you could control the weather with this giant machine that like harnessed invisible energy, like all of these rando people. Um, she writes songs about, uh, like I said, she has a whole album about snow. She has a song called breathing, which is literally about a fetus. It's like sung. It's written from the viewpoint of a fetus inside its mother's womb singing in like a post-nuclear apocalyptic world being afraid to breathe the air outside dude like where like where is your head at when you sit down you're like it's time to write a song right and i kept trying to see i googled like kate bush drugs i was like was she on drugs like i can't find anything that she was like a rock star on heavy psychedelics or cocaine like she was just this is just who she is She's just thinking about weird shit all the time. She's such a freak. I love her. Um, And then quickly, her... So, similarly, the way she structures some of her albums is very, like, very artistic. So, Hounds of Love... This is back in the days of cassettes. It's the early 90s. Hounds of Love, side one was, like, accessible pop songs. And then side two is called... It's called The Ninth Wave... She took the name Ninth Wave from an old English poem about King Arthur and the whole that whole side is seven interconnected songs that just like weave into one piece of continuous music. Um, also on her album Ariel, which came out in 2005, it's the same thing. Like the first side is just like random songs and then the second side is another continuous piece of music and it describes a woman's experiences from being outside from dawn to afternoon to dusk to night to dawn again. It's like just talking about this woman's experiences throughout a day, but like through analogy and through metaphor and through song. Um, so nuts. It's almost like she, her own like poetry style. Yeah. And she, so in one of her, in her first album, the opening of the album is just 20 full seconds of whale song. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Like whale noises? Like, yes. 
Like her debut album, the first 20 seconds are just whales going like, Oh my God. (laughs) It's so interesting. Like, I mean, just if like, there aren't, we have a lot of young artists right now, like young in their teens, really, really early twenties. And like, nobody's being weird. Like you almost have to like wonder, like, I mean, you know, it was a long, long, long time ago, but like, she must have been in a really confident place and really secure with herself to be bringing that level of like weird as fuck at that type of an age. Also, if you ever watch like interviews of her, she's so like, she's very soft-spoken and very like calm and just very even keeled. But then if you see her, any of her performances or you see any of her videos, she turns into like this wild woman when she's performing, like her eyes are wide. It's like she has two different sides to her. She has her performance side, which is totally fucking nuts. And she just does it without any shame or any insecurity. But then her, her normal side is just like very quiet and very like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Which like, I love that shit. Like people, yeah, you never it's, know when it's people are freaks. Like, well, and all, it's almost like when she gets into creative zone, she like morphs into this different like entity. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. And then she's she like, like comes out of it, and she's like, "Oh, back to life!" Like, yeah, oh, again. the English countryside. Da, da, da. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's pretty much the. I mean, I could talk. There's like so her shit is so deep, guys. If you're into deep shit, if you're into witchy shit and weird sounding like rock pop. Definitely check out Kate Bush. She never caught on in the US. She's such a fucking treasure. I love her. I feel like she should. I feel like where we're at now is prime time for her to get a resurgence in popularity because I do think we're all kind of like, I don't know. I feel like we're bored with mainstream. Everybody's like getting a little bit funkier and weirder. And now would be a good time for you guys to to check out Kate Bush. And or for I'll her to resurface. Yes. I tried to do my own personal revival last year when I sent everybody links to Withering Heights, but it didn't didn't work. Uh, I'll wrap up just on the fact that, you know, she's well known, obviously, for her weird ass artistry and also for her in like her complete refusal to let anyone else control her career or her creative stuff. And also she's so, so many different artists have directly quoted her as one of their inspirations and so much of I mean like think of Bjork think of Tori Amos like anybody who's done kind of like a weird strange side to their act Kate Bush paved the way for them and something that I loved about her is that it's not a contrived weirdness you know you never felt like she was forcing any of her stuff like she's just strange and she just like completely steps into that and owns it and she's the fucking shit, and you should check her out. I think you would actually really like Hounds of Love, Melissa, so you should check out that album. All right, I'm going to go hard on this tonight. Go hard. Um, is she an Aquarius? No, but that is a really good first guess. Is she a Gemini? No, also a good guess. So my third and final is, is she a Taurus? No. Oh, because she hid. Uh, it's a little surprising. Is she a Cancer? No. I don't know. She's a Leo. Interesting. July Leos 30th. are like confident, but they're not normally that weird. I know. I don't know what the rest of her chart is, but it like the her insistence that she owned her shit is very Leo. That she does her own thing is very Leo. Yeah. Um 
But yeah, I don't think of Leos aren't usually weirdos, you know? No, not at all. Yeah. It's like Leos are like confident as fuck, but they're also like want to be liked all the time. Yes. So like it's strange for a Leo to break out of like the norm. Right. Well, and they love attention, which she obviously doesn't. Yeah. She just like wanted to make her art. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. We should definitely research the rest of her chart. I mean, she has to have a fuckload of Aquarius in there. Right. I was thinking water, too. Like, I thought, like, there was definitely some water in some of her musical. (laughs) Her whale song. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I only, I actually thought Taurus only because she was so headstrong and, like, I'm doing it my way, fuckers. And then I thought Cancer because she, like, vanished for so long. Right. Yeah, right. Right. I know. But I also have my first guess was... Can vanish, too. Oh, yeah. Bye. They're out in space. My first <laughs> guess probably would have been Cancer or Aquarius. Those would have been my top twos if I didn't know she was a Leo. Interesting. That's well, I'm Kate so Bush. Stoked. I'm so Good stoked guys. to watch that video again because I, I totally remember it. Was she, like, dancing around in, like, a lavender, like, dress? It's a it's a red dress and it's like a very witchy English like more sheer. background. Yes, I feel like I remember it. Okay, yeah. yes, yes, <laughs> and fucking bonus, there are two versions of that video. If you're feeling really excited about it, there's another version where she's in a studio dancing in a white dress, which is also really good. <laughs> so good. So Check her out, guys. Crazy. Check out the bush. Woo! Woo! So, today, I am talking about a very special lady known by the name of Frida Kahlo. Yams! Which, like, everybody has to know who she is. But if you don't, she's considered one of Mexico's greatest artists who's known for her self-portraits, feminism, and her marriage to the biggest fuckboy of all time, Diego Rivera. Um... (laughs) Which was brings me back to my beer review. How funny is it that I am drinking a Pico to Mexico beer? So not intentional. Uh, but the themed. theme, the I theme's there. I love it. So Frida was born in 1907 in Coya, I think it's Coyacan in Mexico City. Um, she grew up in the family home that was later referred to as the Blue House or Casa Azul. And as most people know, she had very poor health, not only in her childhood, but throughout her entire lifetime. Um, The first unfortunate situation that occurred was her contracting polio at age six, which left her bedridden for nine months. The disease caused her right leg and foot to grow much thinner than her left one. And after her recovery, she continued to live with a limp, which is why she is known to wear long skirts in all of her pictures and self-portraits, which is something that she continued to wear throughout the remainder of her life in order to cover up the limp and try to conceal her disability. Um, So after this happened, her father tried to encourage her um, by like helping her get into sports to recover, which at this time, uh, 1907, it was very, not 1907, six years later, but it was very strange for 
girls in general to even be playing sports but her father thought it would be the perfect outlet for her to like gain strength back in her body and stuff and so she played soccer she swam and she even did wrestling which i swear like so many of the women i've covered have been like <laughs> childhood wrestlers <laughs> Wow, there's like a lot to be analyzed. I obviously secretly want to be a singer and you secretly just want to beat people's asses. I know, right? (laughs) It's so strange. Like, I swear Julia Child was like small game hunting when she was a kid. Like, Alicia Napoleon was like, you know, doing kung fu and like wrestling fucks. Like, Pink was like learning how to snap wrists. Like, it's insane. The themes that are happening with my women. Um, and yeah, Frida was like fucking wrestling fools with her gimp leg and all. Oh, wow. God bless you. Yeah, I know. So, um, she attended a school called the National Preparatory School in Mexico in 1922 and was one of 35 female students that were enrolled. And she immediately became well known, Uh, at the school due to her outspokenness and her bravery so she was a little bit of a a a mouthy kid and never held back getting a little sassy uh, out in the playground um and it was at the school that she met the famous mexican muralist and communist diego rivera for the first time he was working on a mural called He was working on a mural called The Creation on the school campus. And although he was 20 years older than Frida, she often watched him paint and she would tell all of her friends at the schoolyard that she would be marrying him someday. Um, Boo. (laughs) Sorry, Diego Rivera fans. Sorry. We don't like him. Um... (laughs) So that same year, she ended up joining a like gang of students that shared similar political views as she did. And they were part of the Young Communist League and also the Mexican Communist Party. Um, and during these like political um, adventures, she ended up falling in love with the leader of the group, whose name was Alejandro Gomez Arias. And one afternoon, while traveling with him on a bus... Her second unfortunate accident occurred, which was when the bus collided with a streetcar and Frida was horribly, horribly injured. Um, A steel handrail impaled her through the hip and her spine and her (gasps) pelvis became fractured. This accident left her in not only like a great deal of physical pain, but also like psychologically, uh, it really fucked her up. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Did anything happen to her boo? uh, I don't know. I think he was injured also, but no one ever spoke of that guy again. (laughs) So. (laughs) He gone. He gone. Um, Yeah, he, like, lived. He didn't, like, die or anything. But I think she, the accident left her. She was the one that got it. It got it the worst in the accident. Right. So everyone was just kind of like, whatever, Alejandro. Um, so that was like her second, like, fuck, dude, you get polio when you're six. And then when you're in high school, you get a freaking handrail that went through your entire body, shattering (laughs) your spine, like your pelvis, like what the hell? 
So she was injured so, so, so badly that she had to stay in the Red Cross Hospital in Mexico City for several weeks. And then after she left the hospital, she had to wear a full body cast for three months. Wow. So to kill the time and to alleviate the pain, Frida started painting. This was like what inspired her, her, you know, initial entry into being an artist and a painter. Um, she and she ended up painting her very first self-portrait the following year and she was quoted to say i paint myself because i am often alone and i am the subject i know best her parents encouraged her to paint and they made a special easel made for her so that she could paint in bed which it's so crazy you can actually see pictures of this online she's like laying in her bed and then she has this contraption that like holds an easel above her while she's horizontal and then she just paints upside down whoa nuts huh yeah that's insane so frida ended up reconnecting with diego in 1928 and she asked him to evaluate her work that's when the two started their romantic relationship and they were married the next year Frida and Diego's marriage was not a usual one. They kept separate homes and separate studios for several years, and Diego had about seven billion affairs, one of which was with Frida's sister, Christina. (gasps) Christina, what the fuck? (laughs) Frida was, like, so horrified and distraught over the affair that she ended up just like chopping all of her hair off to show like her desperation to the betrayal of like not only her family member but her husband. So she was just like she like started the trend. You know how like women cut their hair off? They're like, bitch, you pissed me off. I'm gonna go cut bangs. Like that came from fucking Frida. Like she invented that. Fuck. Yeah, pretty bad. Tell me, was so, she was she having affairs? Please say yes. Uh, I don't believe at this time she was. I think okay. that, like, so this was the very beginning of her marriage to him. And he basically was, like, in the beginning, you know, it was, he was somebody she looked up to. She saw him one day on the school campus painting this beautiful mural. And she was like, oh, my God, this guy is fucking amazing. Like, I'm in love with him. You know, like, how any of us probably thought about, like, fucking, I don't know. Who, like Freddie Prince Jr. Like, remember when everyone was in love with Freddie Prince Jr.? It was like probably like that. Like, she was just like, oh my God, you're a painter and you're famous and you're a communist and like I aspire to date you, like blah, blah, blah. And so right. I think like the first year of their marriage, she was like still in that mindset. And then when she figured out what a raging piece of shit he was, like later on in life, she starts to like, she starts to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this. All right, well, I'm gonna do it too. I so, love that Freddie Prince was your go-to BT dubs. Oh yeah. Well, I was trying to think. Mine was actually originally Ben Affleck, but I think Freddie Prince Jr. was first. I my very first like te- like baby bop crush was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, baby. Oh hell yeah. That's, that's so true. JTT was banging. And he's he like, was- did you know he's like getting his PhD right now? Oh my god. <sighs> I wonder if he'd date me now. He probably would. He looks exactly the same. I don't know. If I know. Him. <laughs> he looks like he also crazy. hasn't grown an inch. No. Oh, yeah, he was a little shorty. He was a little shorty. Oh. <laughs> anyway, back to Frida. 
<laughs> back to that fuckboy Diego. Um, <laughs> so in 1932, uh, Frida added a more realistic and sur- surrealistic, I don't even know if that's how you say it, but she added more components to her painting style. Um, one of her well-known paintings is called the Henry Ford Hospital, which was done in 1932. And it depicted a self-image of Frida lying on a hospital bed naked. And she's surrounded by a few things that are floating, like, in space. And these include an actual fetus, a flower, a pelvis, a snail, all connected by veins. And this painting was an expression of her feelings about her second miscarriage. She had been longing for children, but was unable to bear one due to her bus accident. Mm. So, just like another fucking stab to the heart. God, this poor woman. I know. And in 1938, she became friends with Andre Brenton. Or I'm sorry, Breton, who was one of the primary figures of the surrealism movement. She had like never actually herself considered herself to be a surrealist until he came around and told her she was one. Um, she, like after looking at her paintings, he was like, "Oh, like this, you're a surrealist, like I am," and she was quoted to say. Really, I do not know whether my paintings are surrealist or not, but I do know that they are the frankest expression of myself. Since my subjects have always been my sensations, my states of mind, and the profound reactions that life has been producing in me, I have frequently objectified all this in figures of myself, which were the most sincere and real thing that I could do in order to express what it felt like inside and outside of my body. Hardcore. Deep. So deep. Um, In the same year, she had an exhibition at a New York City gallery. She had sold some of her paintings, and she also got two commissions. One was from Claire Booth Luce, uh, who had asked Frida. She was a fan of Frida's work, and she asked her, like, Hey, Frida, my friend Dorothy Hale, like, just commit suicide. I'm like, we're all super bummed out. Like, can you please paint a remembrance portrait of her, like, you know, so it's like a sentimental thing that I could keep. So Frida says, yeah, sure, why not? And she paints a painting that is titled The Suicide of Dorothy Hale, which tells the story of Dorothy's tragic leap uh, from the apartment building that Dorothy literally jumped out of when she killed herself. So Claire was expecting to see, like, you know, some type of, like, portrait she could hang on, like, above the fireplace, something she could pass down to Dorothy's mother. And instead, she unwrapped the painting to discover the most horrendous and horrific image she'd ever seen, which was an actual depiction of Dorothy jumping off of the apartment building, falling, hitting the ground, and laying in her own blood. Oh my god! <laughs> How could you possibly? I would get a refund, TBA. <laughs> well, I think that like it makes total sense. Like Frida's artwork is how she depicts the scenario. Just like with her miscarriage, she literally got graphic as fuck, and like throughout fetuses and all kinds of like veins intersecting all the pain that she felt and so I feel like it's really in alignment with her painting style it just she missed the mark in terms of like (laughs) 
being sensitive to people's grieving yeah she was like oh well let me paint like i always paint like an actual graphic depiction of what's going on and oops so that's been known to be one of her most shocking and controversial paintings she's ever had um the very next year in 1939 she and diego got a divorce and she painted one of her other most famous paintings which is called the two fridas and it shows her two different personality types one is the traditional frida with a broken heart sitting next to like an independent modern looking frida and they're both holding hands and they both have visible like visible hearts the heart on the traditional frida is cut open and torn and the main artery which comes down to the right hand of the traditional frida is cut off by the surgical pinchers that she's holding on to and the pl- blood like keeps dripping on her white dress and she's basically in danger of bleeding to death i just really like- love how uplifting <laughs> all of her images are just so positive and <laughs> I mean, I don't, but, like, she wasn't aiming for uplifting. She was, no, like, I I love it. here's my bleeding heart on the canvas. Like, this is what I'm fucking going through. Like it or don't like it, but, like, this is it. Well, like, literally, this is it. She's going through so much, it sounds like. Yeah. So, a year later, her and fuckboy get remarried. <laughs> it doesn't last long. Um, their second marriage is is just as horrible as the first one. They continue to live, (laughs) they continue to live in separate lives, separate houses, and both of them basically just fucked whoever the hell they wanted at any, any given time. Like, it was just, like, basically an open marriage at this point, a free-for-all. Just get your dick wherever you want to get your dick. Um, her as well. So, in the year 1944, Frida painted one of her most famous art portraits, which was called The Broken Column, and this painting depicted herself naked and split down the middle. Her spine is shown to be shattered, and she's wearing a surgical brace with nails all throughout her body, which is the indication of, like, the constant pain she's been going through. Um, And during this time, she had had a few surgeries and had to wear special court corsets to protect her back spine and she had been like seeking like tons of medical treatment for her chronic pain but like nothing was working so like this woman was just in fucking like physical agonizing pain 24 7 non-stop um her health continued to worsen in 1950 the year she was diagnosed with i think it's pronounced gangrene which Mm -hmm. is like a really foul disease that you get in your feet So she got it in her right foot, and uh, it resulted in her having to amputate the entire leg. God. It just, like, never ends. Yeah. Um, So, again, she was bedridden for, like, the next nine months. She had to stay in the hospital forever, have multiple surgeries, um, but still she continued to paint and to work. Uh, In the same year, she had a solo exhibition in Mexico, and although she had, like, limited mobility at that time, she showed up to the opening ceremony. She arrived by ambulance, she welcomed all of the attendees, and she celebrated the ceremony in a bed that the gallery set up for her. A few months later, she had to have another surgery. Um, Oh, that's when her leg got amputated. So I guess it wasn't amputated before then. It got amputated after then. But, um, yeah, pretty bad. So, obviously, with her poor physical condition, she became really depressed. And she started to have, 
like suicidal tendencies just like make this shit fucking end you know um but despite her like really horrible health issues she continued to be active with political movements her final public appearance was a demonstration against the u.s backed overthrow of president jacobo arbenz in guatemala and about one week or a couple like a little bit of time later which was like one week after her 47th birthday she passed away in her blue house um so she was 47 years old which is so 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 young and how did she how did she die she was reported to have died of a a pulmonary embolism but there is a lot of speculation that she died of a suicide right so i don't i don't know that anyone's officially said if it was one way or the other um so really fucked up um but her fame continued to grow after her death her blue house was opened as a museum in the year of 1958 in 1970s the interests of her work and life were renewed due to the feminist movement as she was viewed as an icon of female creativity and in 1983 um a book was published about her, the biography of Frida Kahlo, which drew more attention from the public due to this great artist. And in 2002, a movie named Frida was released, which was nominated for six Academy Awards and won for Best Makeup and Original Score. So her whole life is sad, which like I hate to be like the bearer of all the most depressing news. But like that was her whole life. Yeah. And as like like low and horrible as it is i wanted to now like take a minute to talk about like the positive about her which like it's hard to grasp too much positivity when i go through her biography it's upsetting it's sad it's like somebody getting kicked down over and over and over again while trying to get back up and ultimately not surviving and like living a very short life even though they probably could have been so successful like for many more years so i wanted to talk about uh, there's like these four things about her and being known as a feminist, which like I didn't realize that she was considered a feminist icon. And like especially going reading so much about her like really horrendous marriage to Diego Rivera, it was kind of hard to like find the feminism being that she had stayed in like a very horribly toxic and abusive relationship where she was kind of like dominated by this fucking ridiculous male figure um and just kind of let it happen too uh and you know leaving the marriage and then going back to it again it's like your worst nightmare so like i was like wondering like you know what are the what are what is what do people think that makes her a feminist icon and i found this really cool article that is um was written by somebody named Maddie Crehan and it's posted on a blog called Rosie. And so this is directly from her article, but I thought she made a really incredible points that were worth mentioning uh, on the episode. So number one, um, number one for reasons why uh, Frida is a feminist icon. One, she defied gender stereotypes. She was known to smoke. She boxed and wrestled. She won tequila challenges against men. And she one time dressed like a man in a family portrait next to her mothers and sisters who were wearing dresses. Yeah. And you can you can see this picture online. It's really fucking hilarious. She's wearing like a like a full blown man suit. Like and, and like 
her family picture all the women are wearing the women's dresses the men are wearing the men's suits and she's like one of the men um so she just like she also refused to alter her like quote-unquote masculine features which include her infamous unibrow which she has painted in like all of her self-portraits which is another point to this you know like she has this so to speak masculine uh hair on her eyebrow Mm -hmm. and she even has like mustache as well and one she doesn't get rid of either of them she just works it her whole life and two she even highlights it in all of her paintings like hey fucking look at my face i have a mustache and a unibrow what are you gonna do about it um so that was number one number two is that she was openly bisexual she had multiple affairs with both men and women through her marriage to diego and she made no apologies for her sexual choices one of her most notable affairs was with the entertainer josephine baker get it on um number three she painted real women and real experiences she chose to paint the raw and honest experiences that so many women faced which included abortion miscarriage birth breastfeeding and death and then number four she defied her destiny as a victim like although she experienced like an immense amount of suffering in her life she maintained strength and survival throughout it all and though there was always a sense of like despair and suffering in her self-portraits her actual like the gaze in her eyes always remained like defiant and fierce and like you could see that in all of her all of her paintings um so i thought those were really important things to note about like her femininity and her strength and like how she could inspire so many more women after her um and then just a couple quotes to leave on that she's famous for having said uh one of them is pain pleasure and death are no more than a process of existence the revolutionary struggle in this process is a doorway open to intelligence The next one, I am my own muse. I am the subject I know best, the subject I want to know better. And the last one, there have been two great accidents in my life. One was the trolley and the other was Diego. Diego was by (laughs) far the worst. Damn! Diego was by far the worst. Uh, You know what I love? And this is something that people can't see at home. Like, how much you hate him. I mean, I know you keep saying it, but every time you talk about him, your face gets this. You just want to kill that guy. I (laughs) I just hate him because I think he took advantage of her knowing that like when she was young and looking up to him is not only like a like an artistic role model but also he was very heavily involved in the communist revolution which she had passion for as well so he was he was a big figure to her that she looked up to and i feel like he took advantage of that he used it and ran with it he he knew that she already praised him and so he just fucked around as much as he could because he was like I'm already, like, she already loves me. Like, there's nothing I can do wrong. So I'll just do all the wrong and not give a fuck. Yeah, he sounds like trash. Yeah, I, I think he was a little bitch. <laughs> and I I think it sucks that she spent, like, her entire lifespan with him. Yeah, um, and then she went back to him. Ugh. I know. But, you know, I think the other thing you kind of have to think about is also Mexican culture especially in what 
the 1900s that machismo thing like I don't really I didn't unfortunately get to do enough research about like her family and how did they feel about Diego and was this like something that you know maybe was like pushed upon like you know kind of like go out there and get your husband type of a thing or or maybe, you know, her coming into her artistic career was maybe that leverage for her to get more visibility. Like, I don't really know. I think there could have been a lot of other things and, you know, in the background that we don't really see or know about that could be influenced by all of those things. Yeah, for sure. It's complicated. It always Super is. complicated. But yeah, that's Frida for you. Well, I'm so glad. I actually didn't know very much about her. I knew she was bisexual for some reason, but I didn't know the extent of her sorrow, really. Uh, I feel so... God bless her. Rest in peace, girl. Yeah. I have... I have a few guesses. Okay. My number one... Okay, I have like three, and if none of them are right, I have no idea. My number one is Scorpio. No. Okay. But I think that's a great guess. Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to guess Gemini, but she can't be Gemini or else I would already know that. Is she Leo? No. She's a water sign. And she's not a Scorpio. She's a Cancer. She's a cancer. Okay. Okay. I can see that for sure. I definitely thought Scorpio because of the art you described and just a lot of things you said and like being, keeping, like continuing to return to him. That's a very fixed sign thing to do. Like keep going back to someone, but I can see cancer. Yeah. Damn, Frida. Yeah, she, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, so gnarly. But um, you should definitely look up, if you if you aren't super familiar with her paintings, um, it's nuts. Just, yeah. like, how, how graphic she gets. Yeah. And, like, unapologetically. Yeah. You know, like, hey, here is an image of how I'm feeling about my second miscarriage, which is entirely due to the fact that I was fucking run over by a car and now I can no longer bear children. Like, you know, she's like, this is my fucking reality and it fucking feels like shit and I don't like it, but I'm going to paint it and I'm going to paint it exactly as it is. (laughs) Did she... I mean, what kind of life did she live economically as an artist? Do you know? Like, was she, like, a starving artist or? No, because after she met that Benton guy who was the surrealist, he actually ended up taking her to Paris and introduced her to Picasso and a few other artists. And she was hanging out in the crew for a while out there. Um, but she hated Paris. She fucking ha- she like there's a quote I almost used, which was her talking complete shit on Parisian people and being like <laughs> I. She literally said something along the lines of like I would rather be back in Mexico in the local market flipping tortillas than I w- would want to ever be anywhere around the scum of Paris ever again. Oh my god, why? <sighs> I think she thought that they were just stuck up pieces of shit. I mean, fair. We. Oui. 
<laughs> yeah. So she wasn't feeling it. But no, like she and also married to Diego Rivera, like there's no way she could have been starving. Um yeah. I think like sure. economically he was making a lot yeah. of money and um her ha- hanging out with Picasso and Shay, I think she did fine. Um but yeah, Ugh, gnarly. Gnarls. What happened to him? Your BFF. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> or cares? <laughs> Who the fuck knows or cares? She probably died on her deathbed and he was, like, out with his dick in somebody's body. Uh, that's probably true. Uh, fuckboy du jour. We hate you, Diego. The ultimate fuckboy of all time. Oh, my God. I swear, though, like, all of those uh, artists in that time period were little fuckboys. Like, wasn't, like, Hemingway a major fuckboy? Such a fuckboy. We all know (laughs) Hemingway's a fuckboy. Or uh, Kerouac. I mean, like, that's not the same time period. That's later. But just, like, <laughs> anything before the 50s, just douche on douche on douche in the art world. Yeah. They were yeah. so, like, obsessed with themselves because they yep. were creatives. And, yeah. like, that was, like, that was the celebrity back then, you know? Right. Those were, the, there was no, I mean, there were, there, there were, like, movie stars and flapper girls and things like that. But, like, the writers and the painters were predominantly the, the main celebrities, Right. So I guess it really not much has changed. We've just moved over to like fuck boys and acting. <laughs> True. And music. And music. <laughs> and then there's just the rest of us. <laughs> and then every guy ever. No, JK, JK. Cut that out. Cut that out. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for sharing Frida. I like Heck Frida. Yeah. Do we have yeah. any like women of the week? I... I have a woman of the week I'm sitting on that I think I'm going to share next week, which is cheating. I could come up with one. Let me think. I feel like there was someone I was thinking about. Do you have someone? I could. I could have somebody. Okay, you go, and then I'll find mine. Okay. So I'm not going to name my woman of the week by name because I didn't get permission, and... It's related to work, and I think that might be unprofessional. But um, <laughs> uh, my woman of the week goes to uh, somebody I've known for several years at my job, because I've worked at my job for several years. And although she's never been my direct boss, she's been a really, really huge mentor of mine, kind of like recognizing me as an asset and like you know, letting me know, like, stick in it, stick in it, like, you have so much potential, don't worry, things are gonna come to you, gotta be patient, blah, blah, blah. So, just in the past week, um, she was promoted, and she's now officially my boss, my direct supervisor, and she deserves a shout out, because she is, number one, a single mother, and she started with our company, like, low level position working part-time um being that she was a single mother and she has literally just been climbing this ladder and now she's at like one of the highest points you could ever be and (laughs) i think that is just like unreal because like throughout this whole thing she has maintained such a professional and like stoic aura about her where she is super patient and she is you know she always is somebody that everyone considers a mentor she's just intelligent she's smart she's strong like she's just she's like the perfect um 
like woman to look up to especially like if you are a single mother and trying to survive a corporate world because she's she's done it and she's done it successfully and she's somebody that's deserved it like it's been a long fucking time coming and so I'm just so proud to see like the growth that she's made for herself over the past couple of years and also what a huge message that sends to her own daughters because she has of two young daughters I think one's maybe like 10 to 12 the other one's maybe like 20 but like I think she's just like the perfect you know icon for her own kids and I just love that so she's my woman of the week and I just think she's such an inspiration and can just show the rest of us that it can be done regardless of like your hardship or like the lack of help that you've had um if you just stay patient and remain professional and hope for the best and she she has and so cheers to her Woo, I love her. I love that. It sounds like a movie. Yeah, I know. Oh. God bless her. Congrats, Anonymous. You earned it. She earned it. Uh, my woman of the week, I'm going to go ahead. I'm trying to remember if I've said her before, but I don't think I have. My friend, Tatiana, who I now work for pretty much full time um, in my day job, and she is, I think, gone out of the country. So she lives in Pasadena. And she's gone out of the country for the next three months. She's going to, she's in Ireland right now. And then she's going to Thailand. And then she's hiking the Himalayas with her husband. And ever since I've known her, she has been doing crazy travel stuff such as that. Uh, last year, she went to Antarctica. Like, who what? do you... Yes. People go to Antarctica? Exactly! I didn't even know that was allowed. <laughs> and wait for it. Wait for it. So she has, like, a penguin onesie. And she literally jumped into the Arctic Ocean in her penguin onesie and, like, got it on film while she was in Antarctica. Because why the fuck not? Um, That's fucking nuts. <laughs> Who the hell, number one, goes to Antarctica, number two, jumps in the Antarctic Ocean. <laughs> Isn't that insane? It's insane! And, and if we're going to be talking about her, I might as well fluff her up a little bit more. Um... So so she went to Antarctica and swam with the penguins. She's all over the world right now. And she also does, or she used to do a lot of Tough Mudders. And she's actually more than once competed in World's Toughest Mudder, which is like, it's you can only get into that if you did a Tough Mudder and got like a certain placement. Like you have to, it's like invitation only. And she's done a lot of those. So she's just in many ways completely out of control in the best way. That's so, so cool. She is so in jealous. Ireland. I know, right? Is that nuts? Oh, I want to go to Ireland. I know. I do too. I, I do would too. just be like straight up batshit craziness. Yeah. So and then much just to go. Music. I know. Like I'd die. I actually went there when I was 17, but I went, not but, it was cool. But you know, like it was with my family, it was with my dad and my oh, uncle. Oh yeah, you know? all it's the vacations not... like that suck. Yeah, you know, I was like, okay, cool. But I'd love to go as an adult and just have a fucking blast. We'll do it. Yeah, run rampant. You guys share this podcast with your friends so that we can make money off of it, and then we can record episodes from Ireland for your delight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, so so Tatiana is my woman of the week, and I can go on about her, but those are the highlights. 
Woohoo! So, go Tatiana. Live your best life. She really fucking is. So. All right. We actually did okay. It wasn't like we were, I think we were afraid it was going to be longer. I mean, this is yeah. long, but not no, for this us. this is about normal. Yeah. Cool. And you know what? We got through an entire episode for the first time ever without either of our microphones clipping. Did we really? That's according to uh, our stats. Nobody's microphone clipped today. Oh my god! I'm gonna whisper for the next like thirty seconds in case I (laughs) in case I break it. (laughs) Woo! We're learning. We're growing, guys. Please. Like, I always say like, there's nothing to like. Please rate, review, and please share us with your friends. So And subscribe. And subscribe. And subscribe. That's the most important thing, actually. Subscribe. Also, sorry. Another thing to know, a couple of my close friends have, and yeah, close friends have been texting me with um, women ideas. Like, oh my God, have you heard of this person? You need to do it. Or like, oh, blah, blah. So like, those are my closest friends who have my direct contact number. If any of you out there don't actually know us and would like to, you know, you know, let us know who you'd like to hear on a future episode or who you think is important or relevant and that should be on this podcast, you are more than welcome to pass those recommendations off to us via the email or the Instagram, but email being sisterhood at gmail.com. And that's also the Instagram handle without the yeah. gmail.com. Please. Also, even if you have woman of the week stories like that, if you want to share, like, I'd be happy to do that, too. I think that'd be really cool. There's some woman you want to give a shout out to that we can shout out at the end of an episode. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, until next week, y'all. Until next week. Bye. Bye.